It's Muddy at welcome to First Up, it's Ra Mere. That's Friday the 27th of January, Kornathan Rarity I hope. Coming up first up's Minister of Fruit and Veg, Glenn Forsyth has 2023's first fruit of the year. That's right. More wet weather just in time for Auckland anniversary weekend. That's nice. Campers in Northland, they're packing up amid predictions of extreme weather. Philip Duncan from Weather Watch is here. Acts Deputy Leader Brooke Van Helden is with us. And the future of one of the country's oldest hotels, the Grand Chateau, is in limbo after it shuts down new bookings. My understanding is that they're going through a phase of development and uh, we've had some indication that uh, it's quite significant in terms of uh, earthquake risks and the like. Ngā mihi kia koutou, welcome to First Up. We begin in the United States of America today. I'm joined by our correspondent, Bevan Hurley. Morena, Bevan, how are you? Morning, Nathan. Doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Now, let's um, get into a, a story here. An interesting trial underway for a fellow by the name of Murdar, who is on trial for murder. Yes. Uh, Alex Murdar, I hope I'm saying that right, um, hails from an extremely powerful South Carolina legal dynasty. And this week he went on trial charged with the murders of his wife Maggie and younger son Paul. Uh, those are the most serious but far from the only criminal allegations the now disbarred attorney is facing. Um, so on the 7th of June 2021, Murdoch called 911 to report he'd found his wife and son shot dead at the family's sprawling hunting property in a rural corner of South Carolina known as the Low Country. A year later, he was charged with committing the murder- murders, which prosecutors say was an attempt to distract attention from a series of illegal financial schemes he was running. Um, Alex Murder has since been charged with embezzling $9 million from clients and partners and attempting to commit suicide by a hitman for an insurance payout, as well as the murder of his two family members. Um, so in his opening statement on Wednesday, lead prosecutor Creighton Waters told the jury that Murdoch's financial crimes were about to come to light when his family was killed and asked them to listen to that gathering storm that all came to a head that night. He said that a Snapchat video filmed by his son Paul and sent to his friends minutes before the murders occurred would place Alex at the crime scene and the DNA and firearm residue would show that he used a shotgun to shoot his son at close range and an AR-style automatic weapon to kill his wife Maggie as she tried to run away. Uh, The defence have attempted to raise doubts in the jurors' minds by suggesting that the murders couldn't have been carried out by a single gunman because they happened so quickly. And Murdoch's attorney, Dick Harputlian, said the prosecution's case was filled with theories and conjecture. Um, So the case is being tried in state court, which means cameras are allowed open to film and broadcast every moment of the trial. And yesterday, Alex openly wept as the court heard intensely graphic descriptions of the injuries suffered by Maggie and Paul. Uh, The trial has also opened a window into this impoverished corner of South Carolina where the Murdoch family wielded immense power for more than a century. Uh, Three generations of Alex's forefathers served as district attorney there consecutively from 1920 to 2006. And a portrait of his grandfather was removed from the South Carolina courtroom before the trial commenced, Nathan. Unbelievable, horrible story there. Uh, let's, um, yeah, I'm sure that'll be watched with, with great interest. Let's talk about um, these tanks that the United States is, is sending to Ukraine. I see Russia sends more than 50 missiles into the country. What's the latest there with the tanks? Yeah, so after weeks of hesitation, of course, Germany announced on Wednesday that it was going to provide the Ukraine with 
14 Leopard 2 tanks. Um, the US then announced uh, almost in unison that it would be sending 31 Abrams tanks to Ukraine with, with the Pentagon saying the delivery and training plan would begin within weeks and not months. And other NATO countries, including Spain and the Netherlands, have also pledged to send in tanks after intense lobbying from Poland and some of those other allies that are really um, on Russia's doorstep. Um, and after some provocative statements by the Kremlin, um, President Joe Biden said yesterday that the decision to send in the tanks did not represent an offensive threat. He said that if Russian troops returned to Russia, this war would be over today. Um, so the Kremlin claims that the West is now directly involved in the Ukraine war, but it seems like after so much saber-rattling from Moscow, the West no longer fears those threats, Nathan. Yeah. And, you know, weather has been un- unusual all around the world. Let's be honest here. I think, unfortunately, we've gone there. But also a pretty snowless winter in New York City. Is, it, is that a concern? I mean, it's not a concern as such, except for it's pretty much the only sort of, um, you know, thing we have to look forward to over the, over the long <laughs> months of uh, the bitterly cold winter. You know, a little a little bit of white on the ground always seems to cheer people up. But thus far, we've, we've had a snowless winter in New York City. Um, there's been a handful of visible snow flurries, including yesterday, but it actually requires um, at least 0.1 inch or 2.5 millimetres to settle on the ground for it to count. Um, so we've now had a 320-something day snow drought dating back to March last year. And if that trend continues until Sunday, it will match a record set in the winter of 1973 when the city went snowless until January 29. And, of course, you would have seen, um, you know, that, those crazy storms they had in upstate New York. Um, 51 inches, which is about 1.3 metres, was dumped yeah. on the Buffalo region. Parts of California have been blanketed by up to 30 feet. Um, now, the role of climate change, um, as you mentioned, um, Nathan, is, is quite complex with this one, but but it does come in the warmest winter in eight years. So um, obviously having some effect there. Yeah, Bevan, thank you very much for your time, sir. And of course, California being blanketed by snow. Uh, it is 11 past five here at First Up. Nine Palestinians have been killed in an Israeli raid in the occupied West Bank. Israeli authorities say troops were sent into the Jenin refugee camp to arrest militants aligned with Islamic Jihad. The Palestinian Authority has called the raid a massacre. The BBC's Tom Bateman has this report. A storm of gunfire and tear gas in a packed urban refugee camp. Israel's raid began early this morning. More than 100 military vehicles entered the camp, say witnesses. It is the most deadly single Israeli raid into Jenin since a new wave of violence hit the region last spring. We heard gunshots. We fled into the Janine club and we stayed under siege there for three hours. The army besieged us in the club and we heard the sounds of clashes. After about an hour, military bulldozers destroyed cars on both sides of the road, then destroyed the club's wall. Palestinians say that for some time the Israelis stopped ambulances reaching the wounded describing the situation as critical. In the aftermath, another part of Janine camp is seen reduced to wreckage. The Israeli army says it surrounded a building to capture Islamic Jihad militants. A huge gunfight then erupted. The children's ward of a local hospital was hit by tear gas, say health officials, and Palestinian leaders have called for urgent international help, calling this a massacre. Israel says it acted based on precise intelligence of major attacks by Islamic Jihad. The army raids have been near nightly for months now, 
as Israel says it's been acting to stem the worst spate of attacks in years against its citizens. It had already been a deadly month for Palestinians in the occupied West Bank, with 20 killed so far in January, militants and civilians. A boy like this should have been able to have his childhood. What happened to that right? In Dehesha refugee camp during a raid last week, soldiers shot dead a 13-year-old boy, Amr al-Khamur. The army said some Palestinians threw stones, petrol bombs and explosive devices, but gave no specific account of why the teenager was shot. At the family home, neighbours arrived to mourn. If a boy hits me with a stone, should I get a pistol and shoot him? There are things that the mind can comprehend. It's beyond belief. To kill a child, to kill a boy. I'm helpless. I'm speechless. Here, national flags hang beside those of the PFLP, a political and armed faction seen by Palestinians as part of their resistance. It's listed by Israel and the West as a terrorist group. America's top diplomat arrives in the region in days. The US has already said it is deeply concerned about escalating violence. It worries too about a political crisis in Israel as fears mount of a much further flare-up. That was Tom Bateman reporting from the West Bank. It is a quarter past five. Uh, you're listening to First Up here at RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere. And uh, you would have seen too, uh, as we spoke with uh, Bevan before, about the weather in New York City and how different it is there. And of course, we've all been very aware of the different summer that we've had. Although I believe uh, in around Alexandra, I think in Cromwell, that you guys had brilliant um, summer. Because I know, because I keep getting sent messages from there with nah, nothing wrong with our weather down here. So good for you. But um, horrible weather on the way through, particularly for the top of the North Island. We'll, we'll keep an eye exactly on that because there is some incredibly heavy rain scheduled between 10 and midday. There will be uh, Philip Duncan will join us from Weather Watch Live to give you latest details there. But um, just let us know on, on 2101 if you've had uh, your upcoming plans scuppered uh, perhaps for the weekend. And I've got some friends that have uh, gone up to Northland and they were very much looking forward. Uh, to a wedding uh, that they're at but uh, yeah just let me know maybe it might be a time too to have a look at that and think about your plans if you were thinking of heading away so uh, we go to Africa now and I'm joined from Ghana by our correspondent Nabil Ahmed Morena Nabil how are you? Fine thank you Nathan hello so France has troops in Burkina Faso but Burkina Faso has asked them to pull the troops out of the country What? why is that? Well, um, Burkina Faso feels that France's intervention in fighting insecurity in the country has not really yielded any much results. And uh, they've been actually at loggerheads with um, the French ambassador in Burkina Faso for a while now for his outbursts on the insecurity in Burkina Faso. So the junta leader has actually been mounting pressure on France to withdraw its about 400 soldiers from the country because they feel that uh, the troops being the country have not really helped them in the fight against insurgency. You know that Burkina Faso has been facing insecurity for uh, nearly a decade now, and these insecurities have been linked to jihadist groups like Al-Qaeda and Islamic State, and it still persists. Currently, there are a lot of people that are running away from the country because of attacks and also kidnapping of women in Burkina Faso, Nathan. 
Mm. Um, there's a cholera outbreak in Malawi. I, I see so far about a thousand uh, people have died. What's being done to combat it? Well, um, last year when the outbreak started, um, the UN sent some vaccines to um, Malawi to try to curb the cholera outbreak, but then it's not really yielded much results. Uh, we've seen that thousands of people have really died, and more than thirty thousand have actually contracted the cholera outbreak since I mean the cholera since the outbreak, and it's been a worrying concern, and it's something that they are trying hard to fight. In Senegal, they have busted a cocaine trafficking attempt off the coast, which sounds like a massive amount. How much cocaine has been seized? Um, We understand that about 800 kilograms of cocaine has been seized. And Senegal has been in the news for some years now as a major transit point for drugs. And uh, this bust is one of the major busts uh, in recent years because 800 kilograms is quite a lot. And um, sometime last year, in October, we understand that there was about 300 kilograms of uh, cocaine that was also seized. Uh, so it's something that Senegal, uh, like the West African country and also Central African country, have really uh, been a major market for uh, illicit drugs and narcotics. Um, wow, that's, that's a huge amount. Let's talk about um, uh, the, the world of the arts. African music stars, though, <laughs> are they, they're having um, struggling to get visas to get into Europe. What's that being put down to? Well, um, they feel that it's largely due to stereotyping because they feel that there's been concerns that when a lot of Africans try to move to Europe through uh, by using the Schengen visa, they are denied. Uh, because there's been concerns that some Africans, when they get to Europe, they try to seek asylum. And this particular artist from uh, South Africa actually was not able to get uh, a visa to uh, attend an important event. And she was actually trying to transit through Amsterdam to Quebec. But then uh, when she was at the airport, they told her she would not be able to do that unless she has a return flight. Uh, meanwhile, she already had a different flight and it shows that she would go back to her country, Kenya, sorry, not South Africa, Kenyan uh, artist. And she was denied the I mean, visa to travel to Cape Verde. And she put it on social media, specifically Twitter, and a lot of people came out really sharing their own experiences. We know that a Nigerian singer, popular <laughs> big artist in Nigeria, and even across uh, other countries, Yemi Alade, also um, suffered something similar last year when she applied for a Schengen visa. She was denied, and also she was also attending a program in Canada, and she also was, was not able to get the Canadian visa. Um, the event organizers came out to say that it was because of concerns of a financial st- and that it felt that she would not return to Nigeria when she's given the visa to travel to Canada, which is really absurd because she's a big star and everybody knows that she has the financial means and she definitely she'll return to her country. She's not going to travel to Canada to seek any greener pastures because she's a really superstar in Nigeria and she has a lot of money. But then it's just basically the issue of stereotyping and the restrictions that people really face when they try to apply for Schengen visa travel to Europe. Europe and even abroad. And uh, there are a lot of countries that face that, not only Nigeria, we know that Senegal also faces 
a lot of uh, challenges in uh, getting visas to travel to uh, Europe. And also, um, these uh, uh, Guinea-Bissau is also among the top three list of countries that keep getting their visas denied when they apply for a Schengen visa, Nathan. Yeah, Nabil, thank you very much, sir. That is uh, Nabil Ahmed, who we speak with every Friday out of Ghana. It's, uh, well, 21 minutes past five. I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. So we will update you on the heavy winds that are on the way for Auckland Anniversary Weekend that will be affecting the uh, upper parts of the North Island in particular, where the watchers Philip Duncan has the latest. And very soon, wake up the kids. It's First Up's Minister of Fruit and Veg giving you his very first Fruit of the Week for 2023. I've got a lovely bunch of there they are standing in the air. Big ones, small ones, some as big as mm, It's the introduction that calls like a siren from the rocks and says, Come towards me and hear about fruit and vegetables. With our Minister of Fruit and Veggies, he is Glenn Forsyth Morena. Glenn. Morena, sir, how are you? I'm good. Now, I know that um, a good way to avoid the pricey things is that you don't need to buy the most perfect produce, do you, at, at the highest prices? What should we do in that regard? Yeah, that's right. There are, we call them tag two in the market. Look out for those. We, you know, like you've got some brand names that, that sell some of that, that stuff and markets you can pick up some some of that product. But we can never go too far into the new year without catching up with one of my favourite growers, fresh out of your hood, Nathan, the Yummy Fruit Company, leaders in our industry of stone fruit and pip fruit. They're, you know, they're launching two new lines next next week and National Sales Manager Aaron Knowles, he filled us in. Firstly, they're Flatto White Peach and Punnets, fresh from Central Otago. These white peaches are unique because they are flat peaches that look like they've been squashed. They're a natural variety from France that are grown in central Otago, they have a small stone with lots of flesh that is firm, sweet and juicy, perfect for the school lunchbox and in a few weeks time the Flato Gold Peach is available. Same looking fruit but that one has gold flesh and a more mellow flavour. Their second product out next week is New Season Sweet Tango Apples. This has been a winner, early season apple for New Zealand. The older early season sunrise, they spoil and bruise as quick as you look at them. And early royal gala, they need a few more weeks yet. So sweet tango is the apple with the loudest crunch. Large angular fruit cells cause the apple to make a loud snapping crunch when you bite into it. So yeah, look out for that one next week. I think you've just given me an idea. I can see Leonard or Marvash or Big Tuna, one of our reporters, <laughs> getting various apples by a sound meter and trying to bite them and see. Let's, I'd, I'd just be great for the video content. I just want to. Hey, let, uh, what about veggies th- this, this weekend, Glenn? Yeah, it may not be hardy vegetable eating season, but when several summer veggies unexpectedly spike, lower priced hardy crops can help keep your five-plus-a-day affordable at dinner time, and carrots, potatoes, onions, and pumpkins, they're all good buying. Broccoli and cauliflower, they've shot up again due to misplantings with the bad weather late last year, so that causes gaps in supply now. Greens okay this week seem to be cabbage, lettuce, spring onions, Asian leafy greens, and celery. Mexican uh, salad and baby leaf lettuce, they're in good supply. However, baby spinach, that one is not and treats such as sweet corn, courgettes and beans, they're all in good supply. I mean, let's talk inflation quickly. Just under two years ago, tomatoes were nine cents a kilo in Hastings. This week, $9 a kilo. But in all seriousness, lack of warm, sunny weather last month is killing the volume now. The weather, now that is something we can't control. However, what we can address are some of the other heartaches, shortage of CO2, shortage of labour over the last two years, affecting both planting and harvesting, and increased costs of production like 
hourly labour rates, energy for heating and lighting, interest rates on borrowings, packaging, fertiliser, chemicals and transport. Now this has all led to a reduction in risk taken by both producers and retailers, which is the main thing there. We have to turn that around, Nate. So let's text Chippy and get him down to the markets eh, and show him around. Yeah, it's a competitive labour market now, isn't it? It's uh, it's very yes. hard, hard to get cheap labour now. Hey, uh, let's go to the, the fruit aisle oh, there, figs, rock melons, they're big. Oh, beautiful. We mentioned new season figs have begun on Monday and another gorgeous New Zealand fruit appearing is the rock melon and some early New Zealand grapes available like the Italia and Black Beauty. The early season pears, they're not one to get excited about yet, but there are juicy nashi here from China and navel oranges from USA. Blueberries, they're your more affordable berry. Now, on mangoes, I prefer the Aussie honey gold over the South American ones currently. These honey gold ones are super sweet and all the good stores favourite. Handle them like a baby at all times. Apricots, they improved in supply this week and all stone fruit is in good shape all all price similar per kilo too i mean even cherries which is unheard of look out for the golden skin peaches great flavor and they are your varieties such as golden queen golden bell and the tartura gold Um, and now in a first for our show since the holiday break our last fruit of the week last year is our fruit of the week today okay so what is our fruit of the week new zealand cherries yes yeah that's right. I mean, this fruit has been fantastic. The weather's so kind. I heard you talking about the weather in Alexandra, and their sugars are bursting. Seen 900 grams this week for 7.49. That's like $8.30 a kilo. So get into them. As in two weeks, it'll be bye-bye for the best of them. Now, right. also a good investment. That's well, Glenn, a, that's Glenn, Glenn we, unfortunately, we're going to have to save this for Chapter 2 on Monday there as well, or we're not going to have time to uh, talk to our interesting guests. Sorry, sir, thank you very much for your time. There he is, Glenn Forsyth. There's so, just so much around. All right, I'll try and be fast here then. Here I go, to the intro. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Yes, this is the day of our life, the 27th of uh, January. Happy birthday to you, Daniel Vittori. Here, Vittori. Great catch. On this day in 1756, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was born in Salzburg in Austria. He uh, created over 600 compositions and in a very true super artist lifestyle, uh, very little of his work was published during his lifetime. And um, this day, 1941, Beatrice Tinsley was born, the New Zealand astronomer and cosmologist. She was actually born in England, but uh, Taranaki is where she grew up there. Uh, professor of astronomy at Yale. Uh, her research made fundamental contributions to, listen to this, the astronomical understanding of how galaxies evolve, grow and die. And actually in uh, 2010, the New Zealand Geographic Board officially named a mountain in Fiordland's Kepler Mountains as Mount Tinsley after Beatrice Tinsley. Uh, on this day in 1880, Thomas Edison patented, uh, patented the electric incandescent lamp. And this is the day in 1984 that Michael Jackson was on set during a commercial in his hair caught fire for Pepsi. Uh, some pyrotechnics went off too close to him, burnt his face and his scalp. Pepsi settled out of court for $1.5 million, and uh, Jackson donated the money at, uh, to a medical centre in Culver City. And on this day in 2010, Apple announced the iPad. So 2010 is when it came out. $500 million have been sold so far. But in 1983, Steve Jobs in a meeting said to his people I want a computer that's it looks like a it'll fit in a book and it only takes you 20 minutes to learn and wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to plug it in that went all right for them and there you are that is uh, happy birthday to you iPad you touched down on planet earth 13 years ago yes, 
what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, let's get down to business. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. It's time to speak to Mr. Giles Beckford. Kia ora, Giles. How are you? Kia ora to you, Nathan. We're very uh, into things in New Zealand. We, we really like to dive into them, especially what the trading of stocks is this, what, how's that yeah. come around? Well, this is a, a, a study that's been done by a, a British financial services firm, CMC Markets. You may have seen some of their adverts on TV. They do uh, online trading as well. And they've looked into the Google search trends of uh, uh, various countries, uh, looking at who, who searches for stocks, shares, trading, investment, swing trading and all the other bits of jargon that go around there. And it turns out that uh, New Zealand features as the eighth most obsessed country when it comes to searching for these terms. And I suppose it's a reflection of the fact that we have sharesies and hatch. and That's know, what I was thinking, the, the, yeah. The, 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 there's quite a lot of online trading. Top of the pile is Singapore uh, and followed by India, Canada, United States, um United Arab Emirates, number rounding out the top ten. New Zealand is eighth. R- rounding out the top ten, Nigeria, and it just just struck me: is that why? Because you know they're so obsessed with investment, we get all those great letters from there. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, and that might be a reflection of that. But it would seem that New Zealanders are most the the best searches that they do, or the most searches that they do, are in uh, the terms buying stocks or investing in stocks. Uh, as opposed to uh, a search on day trading or swing trading, which suggests speculation more than investment, shall we say. So there you have it. You know, you crunch the numbers. You're always being tracked on the uh, interweb. Yes. And uh, there's somebody there going, all those Kiwis, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're obsessed with their stock investments. Um, but... Uh, you know, who would have thought? Because the share market in New Zealand doesn't get a particularly good rap, uh, and a lot of people profess ignorance about it. But uh, clearly, we do have an interest in it. Uh, Sharesies, I think, and Hatch, uh, and the other online platforms yeah. probably have to take the credit for increasing knowledge. I think think it also reflects a, a younger uh, demographic people who are getting in there. Well, so it's more di- affordable than trying to buy a house, I, I think, well, for a lot of people. Well, that's, well, that's what I... And you can buy... You can, I speak to. And, and on these um, platforms, of course, you can buy just small numbers. You can buy, you know, you, you know, if you're confronted with trying to buy a Microsoft share, it's going to cost you, you know, hundred hundreds of dollars yeah. you know, for one share. But you can... Uh, these platforms allow you to trade just a quarter of a share or half a share. So from that point of view, it's a, as you say, it's affordable, it's accessible, uh, and people clearly have some sort of view to uh, looking to their future. Wonderful. And, and cheaper than a house. Yeah, thank you very much, Giles Beckford. If you are doing any sort of share trading, let us know, 2101. Uh, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 1027. If you would like to take your New Zealand dollar out to the shops and see what you can buy, you can buy the following. 64.74 US cents, 91.18 Australian cents, 59.5 Euro cents, 52.32 British pence, 4.31, yen and probably about a quarter of a tomato.
They've introduced the sports sofa uh, for Monday, uh, for Fridays, and there he is reclining over there is Clay Wilson Lovely on the the, uh, the RNZ. Yeah, do you like it? Yeah. Can I, there you go. Yeah. The RNZ sports sofa. Kia ora, man. How are you? Good, thank you. Good, yeah. Now, um, tell us about the newest assignment for, for Hamish Bond. Probably the most, I feel like he's the most competitive human being in New Zealand. Yeah, slash absolute machine yeah. this guy is, isn't he? He yeah. just, just keeps coming back for more. <laughs> so, a uh, big announcement overnight that Hamish Bond is joining Team New Zealand. So, obviously, three-time gold medalist rower, and then he stepped over to cycling. He went won a Commonwealth Games bronze medal in the time trial which is the most brutal of all cycling events mm. and now he's stepping into sailing so Team New Zealand are bringing back this famous cyclos from Bermuda for this uh, for this next America's Cup in Barcelona next year and, and he's gone through this big trial process and he's been brought on board along with three other athletes from different sports as, as well so he's going to have a crack at trying to Add an America's <laughs> Cup to his very, very, very long resume. He's got the lungs of an orca, uh, you know, over that as well. When it, when it first came out, I was just imagining, I thought, gee, they're innovators, and these oars out the side of the yacht. Maybe it's a masterstroke for when there's no wind. Never say never in the America's Cup, no, I reckon. But, yeah, um, it, yeah, yeah, also one of the other athletes, notable, Dougal Allen, who won the Coast to Coast two times. Oh, wow. So they go to all places, Team New Zealand. They're not afraid to innovate, no. are they? So, yeah, interesting. Like, do you interesting have giant VO2? Yes, you're who Pretty we want. Pretty much, yes. Now, it. Australian Open tennis, uh, obviously happening overnight. What uh, what happened there? It was so a bit late for me. The women's final set, so we're going to have Elena Ribikina, who's the reigning Wimbledon champion, and she's going to play Arena Sabalenka, who's the fifth seed and has come close a few times, but hasn't is both quite big hitting players, so that could, should be quite an entertaining final. And then men's semi-finals tonight, and Novak Djokovic is... Can anyone stop him? Um, doesn't look like it so far, and he's got an unseated opponent in the in the semi-finals, just Tommy Paul, who's made a bit of a dream run, a young American guy. So, um, I think at this point it's Novak Djokovic's tournament to lose, yeah, is it not? By the sounds of um, it. And then Stefano Tsitsipas and Karen Hushinov in the other semi. So you'd have to say Tsitsipas third seed, um, and that would be a, a great final, wouldn't it? Djokovic versus, versus Tsitsipas. Yeah, but, um, he's probably got the best shot, hasn't he? Yes, you'd think so. And, and then the breakers in action last night in Brisbane, and it was all good. Yeah, yeah, two two straight. So sort of bounce back for the breakers. They did lose four straight, and it was looking like maybe they might not even make the the playoffs because it's a pretty tight run there in the Australian NBL. But they've they beat Brisbane last night in Brisbane, and they still sit third. But if they can finish second, then they get a, an automatic spot in the semi final. So it looks like they they're, they're going to make the playoffs. But now that I guess the goal for them is if they could if Kens who they're trying to chase could slip up a bit and the breakers can win. They've got three games left. Can yeah. win um, at least a couple of these. They might sneak in and go straight through to the top four. So better news for, for basketball fans and the breakers. Yeah. Well, let's hope hope. Yeah, let's hope so. They're resplendent in pink this year. Thank you uh, very much. Clay Wilson there off the uh, the sports sofa this morning. Uh, Waka Kotahi will be forced to close the Auckland Harbour Bridge over the anniversary weekend of severe winds of up to 110 kilometres per hour come to pass. So uh, Met Service Amber Alert is in place from 7am today. I'm not sure what that is, but usually when they introduce a colour, it's a, it's a bad thing. Uh, Philip Duncan from Weatherwatch joins me now to clear it all up for me and let me know. Kia ora, Philip, how are you? Kia ora, good morning. I'm very good, thank you. How about yourself? I'm pretty good. Okay, let's get to it. How bad is it going to get? Well, it's getting pretty blustery at the moment in the upper North Island. In fact, around Auckland this morning, um, we're already seeing a couple of power outages, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some more today because those northeast winds are are going to pick up a bit more from, from where they're already at, and they could be gusting... Um, the 70 to 90, even 100 k's an hour by this afternoon from the northeast. There is good news if you're heading away. 
Some of those wins are going to ease back a bit this weekend, but generally speaking, they're, they're sticking around right through till next week. And in fact, there's another big windy surge next Tuesday as well. So, And it's all connected to the same system from the same direction. Okay, uh, one word review of summer so far. Ugh. What, is, has it been a really a typically, is, is this a bad summer that we've had so far? Well, it depends on what you, you know, when some people love weather like this, so it's not everyone thinks it's as bad. But when it comes to like, I look at it from an economic point of view and from a um, holiday point of view. And from a holiday point of view, this has not been a good summer for the North Island and especially the campground owners. They've had a tough time. Um, because these, you know, like this is a big long weekend with half the country taking the weekend off, coinciding with some rough weather, which is really not good. But on the other side, you've got the farming community who are much happier than they've been in previous years because we're not having such widespread drought. Um, although the South Island is very dry, much drier than the North Island is. Okay. Um, how should people prepare? So this is a long weekend. A lot of people have got plans, and the weekend is going to start off a bit rough. Today and tomorrow, the for the people who are lucky enough to have the weekend off, um, have got have got unsettled weather, and so you need to be aware of the Met Service warnings and watches out today. Um, there is this windy, what we call a squash zone. It's sort of a line of windy nor'easters that'll be up to gale force. And that comes with it some rain. And that heavy rain is where the windiest weather is as well. So the eastern side of Northland and Auckland and Coromandel all have a risk of, of slips and flooding and wind as well. So it's a really a bit of a rough start to the weekend, but hopefully it ends, the weekend does, um, on a slightly better note. Yeah, let's, let's hope so. Just very quickly, would you cancel travel plans if you were in the upper parts of the North Island? I don't like being asked that because I always feel like... Um, I've you know, asked you though. Tough question, but I, I would definitely be well aware that today's weather is going to be um, potentially severe in parts of the North Island, and this afternoon the winds will pick up, so even more. So yeah, it's a bit of a rough day. Make make the plan yourself. Look at the rain radar. Keep up to date with the warnings. Look at the forecast um, on our side as well, and, and just sort of go from there. Yeah. Philip, thank you very much for your time, sir. Philip Duncan there from Weatherwatch. I mean, clean out your gutters. There we are. It is 1826. I'm Nathan Rarity here at First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, Act's Deputy Leader Brooke Van Velden is uh, with us live on the programme. And the future of one of New Zealand's grandest hotels, the Chateau Tongariro, is in limbo. You'll hear why uh, very soon here on the programme. <laughs> The Professionals of Morning Report are with you after six for a quick preview for our flagship news programme. It is Corin Dan. Corin, your hometown of Christchurch, there would be a good day for talcum powder today, wouldn't it? 30. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing, isn't it, about living in Christchurch, those roaring nor'westers that come across. You just get these random days where it's just so hot and you can't do anything and the wind is, drives you crazy. Oof. Warm nor'wester at the Ducks Deluxe. In the evening go. back in the day, that was the, that was the place to be. <laughs> Lovely. Be, if you want to be out in their thousands. Uh, busy show this morning for a Friday. Uh, we will look into, obviously, the uh, the tragic uh, death uh, in the Gisborne region uh, with that uh, forestry slash issue, that 12-year-old. Uh, we'll get more on that. Uh, eggs, we're going to revisit the eggs issue. Uh, there is still a 
scramble on to get eggs Very at nice. the moment. Yeah, Got to do one at least, there. don't you? Um, the the uh, We're going to talk to the egg producers because it's still a problem and an ongoing problem uh, with the transition to new farming techniques continuing. Uh, so we'll get more on that. Also looking on the veggies issues as well. Uh, and we'll talk to NASA about their nuclear fission uh, engine. They're going to power, maybe power a, a rocket that will use nuclear power to get to Mars, and it'll take half the time. Oof. So that's good news. Things it are moving is. fast. Wonderful. That, well, we'll move really fast. Thank you very much. Uh, Corin Dan there. Well, uh, this is a, a really interesting story. The, the future of the Grand Chateau Tongariro is in limbo, with the hotel not taking any new bookings for 2023 and 2024. The hotel itself remains open, but it's virtually empty, as mystery surrounds next week's release of site assessment reports, some of which RNZ understands relate to earthquake strengthening and the building's land lease. Uh, so what's going on and why are the locals being kept in the dark? We sent Matthew Tunison to Whakapapa to find out. Driving down State Highway 48 across the North Island Central Plateau, you can see the Chateau Tongarero long before you reach Whakapapa. The iconic hotel is one of the country's grandest buildings. Set on the foothills of Mount Ruapehu, it's hosted guests for almost a century. So why is it that you can't book a room there for the remainder of 2023 or 2024, despite it appearing virtually empty? The Chateau Tongarero's 30-year lease expired in April 2020, and the building's owner, Car New Zealand, a subsidiary of the Singapore-based Car Motor, has been in negotiations with the Crown to determine its future. The Department of Conservation's District Operations Manager, George Taylor, has been party to the talks and will be there when stakeholders meet again next week. DOC has offered a new long-term lease to car and negotiations around it are ongoing. Consultation with Tufari Roa, uh, specifically uh, Ngāti Kairo, is a requirement, while Unuku and Ngāti Hawa would also be informed of the process. Um, Depending on changes agreed during negotiations, further consultation may be needed before a new lease is granted. First Up made numerous approaches to the hotel owners to try and get a clearer idea of what's going on. We wanted to know why staff were saying the hotel was booked up until the end of 2023, why the hotel's website wasn't accepting new bookings, the fate of future bookings, along with what would happen to hotel staff. A spokesperson for the building operators, another car subsidiary called Bayview International Hotels and Resorts, said in a statement that as part of its lease renewal, the hotel had proactively conducted site assessments and was awaiting final reports. The company would be in touch early next week. First up understands the hotel needs earthquake strengthening, which will cost more than the company had initially budgeted for. We thought we'd grab a coffee at the hotel's cafe to see what it was like inside, but it was closed. Likewise, the bar across the road, Tussock, which is also owned by car, was closed. Apart from two white utility vehicles, the Chateau's car park was empty, and except for a couple of bags tucked behind a counter, we didn't see any sign of guests in the reception area. No, I'm from right here in New Zealand. I'm oh, okay. just hoping to find out what's happening with the Chateau. Yeah, at, the, at the moment, so we're just open for in-house guests, so okay. we don't have a... But on the footpath outside, we managed to catch up with UK tourists Richard and Carol as they waited for their shuttle. 
They just spent a delightful few days at the chateau, which they said was very quiet inside. They booked their stay way back in 2020, before COVID hit. It was, I don't know, 10% full, something like that. Very nice inside, lots of facilities, cinema, small pool. Mm. They were all very, very nice, very, very helpful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But you didn't stuff. see many other guests? Not, Not really. a huge number. Not a huge number, no. no. Counting them on one hand sort of thing, or two? Two. Oh, two. Yeah. <laughs> two, okay. Two, two, two yeah. or three. We were surprised. We, th- we thought it would be a lot fuller because it's midsummer, isn't it? But other TripAdvisor reviews from recent guests are less than favourable. Prison quality food at outrageous prices. By far the worst on our NZ trip but they charge $69 a head. We were visiting from the UK, having booked dinner in the restaurant a couple of months in advance, expecting the wonderful service and food as described on the hotel website. How wrong could we have been? The restaurant was almost empty. What's good? Amazing locations and views and access to the National Park. What's not so good? Hotel looks old and in urgent need of renovation and modernization. Meals are buffet only, and they assume everyone wants full breakfast and full dinner. They don't. Our agent booked us here as part of our travels to New Zealand. What a huge disappointment. On arrival, we were told the restaurants advertised on their site are not open and the only option was a buffet. We had no option as we arrived at 7, so had to dine in. Poor selection, dirty wine glasses and an interior that hasn't been loved or cleaned in many a year. Local business owners spoken to by First Up were reluctant to go on the record, but it's clear that people are worried about the future of the chateau, which is integral to the tourism-based economy. The negotiations come shortly after another of the district's major employers, Ruapehu Alpine Lifts, went into voluntary administration, $40 million in debt as well as being unable to operate during COVID, an unusually warm winter meant last year's ski season was a disaster for RAL. Ruapehu District Mayor Weston Curtin isn't privy to the chateau negotiations, but like the rest of the locals, he's concerned. My understanding is that they're going through a phase of development and uh, we've had some indication that uh, it's quite significant in terms of uh, earthquake risks and the like. My understanding is that they have budget for that uh, and that they'll be working towards some resolution to the earthquake risks and also the development. Well, we have no knowledge uh, as to the timing and uh, there's no no reference to any consents or anything at this stage so we're waiting with interest to see what the group are uh, actually doing and uh, I guess the community are waiting uh, anxiously to see that there is some work going on there. You hear the speculation and uh, you hear rumours uh, that is of concern to us of course uh, we need clarity from the stakeholders as to you know where we're heading towards that. The community does have an interest in this obviously uh, and of course you've got staff uh, so we're really feeling for those uh, people that are affected by it. George Taylor from DOC says car has been permitted to continue to occupy the land on a monthly basis despite the original lease having expired. He says there is no dispute between the Crown and car. Stakeholders are expected to meet again on Tuesday. Matthew Tunison there uh, at the Chateau. Well, every week we speak to the deputy leaders of the two major parties here on First Up. And this year, it's election year, so we are spreading the net wider, as you may have noticed during the week. Every Friday, we will speak to the deputy leader of the ACT Party, Brooke Van Velden, who is with me right now. Kia ora, Brooke. How are you? Kia ora. Very well, thank you. Um, have you had an opportunity to speak with the new Prime Minister yet? No, I haven't. Uh, but I suspect, like myself, most New Zealanders are really wanting to know a little bit more detail over these next weeks about what he will actually do. 
Yeah. And I think that the challenges that he faces are exactly the same as the challenges that Jacinda Ardern faced in uh, <laughs> Prime Minister. You know, we've got an economy that's in the tank. The price is going up and up and up. We've got more lawlessness on our streets and the treaty has become a source of division in our society instead of unity. And I think we want a prime minister that will answer those questions and create policy uh, that will govern for all of New Zealanders rather than more and more of the spin that we've expected from the previous prime minister. Hmm. Do you think it's the treaty making a division or do you think perhaps it's the way that um, some parties are presenting it? Well, I think what what people are feeling is that there is a stealth transformation of what democracy means in New Zealand. Uh, and people uh, haven't had the opportunity to talk about it and discuss it publicly. And that's what the ACT Party wants. We want all New Zealanders to feel like they have an equal stake in our society, uh, where everybody, no matter what race they are or when or when they're uh, family came to New Zealand, uh, that they all believe uh, that we're equal and we have the same rights. Uh, That feels like it's slipping away from us. uh, And we need to have a discussion about New Zealand being a modern, multi-ethnic, liberal democracy and how we paint a future going forward uh, that governs for all of New Zealand. Um, We're 10 months out from the election. And when I I spoke to Nicola Willis last year and I asked her if if National would be standing a candidate in Epsom and and she said they would, um, like a high calibre candidate. Are you aware of that and how does that uh, affect ACT? Oh, look, as far as I'm aware, Paul Goldsmith uh, is standing again uh, in Epsom, um, but that doesn't really affect ACT. Uh, ACT has won Epsom for many years off our own back, um, but also uh, we're governing or wanting to govern uh, for New Zealanders across New Zealand. Uh, And so we'll be out there campaigning not only in Epsom, uh, but throughout New Zealand uh, for sensible policies and things like dumping three waters, getting rid of these so-called fair pay agreements and getting rid of this income insurance, uh, which is essentially a jobs tax and reducing wasteful spending. Because what we want to see, not just in Epsom, but across New Zealand, uh, is policies that will actually work for New Zealand rather than ones that cause conflict or don't actually fix the real issues New Zealanders face, like crime on our streets. Yeah. Um, So will you yourself be standing in an electorate? I haven't selected an electorate to stand in yet. All of right. that decision is coming in many, many months. I believe our list selection process won't be actually happening until May either. Uh, so all the listeners have better stay tuned to see what, what's happening there. Um, but we will be standing a lot of very good candidates up and down New Zealand. Uh, and I suspect uh, we will be a voice for people who want substance over spin. Okay, and um, I'm just thinking because really uh, in the last election cycle we, we've seen uh, lots of David Seymour, we, we've seen yourself, and that we haven't really seen too much of the others. So do you think it's you know it's uh, really time for will you, will you be looking to try and increase the profile of your other candidates between now and the election? Oh look, I, I think a lot of New Zealanders have seen people uh, from the ACT Party. You know, I take a great example of my colleague Mark Cameron a real-life farmer who constantly spends his days up and down uh, from the far north to Southland, talking to people on the ground every single week. You know, his profile is growing uh, in our rural community. You talk to Karen Chua, who is our uh, social development spokesperson, about what it's like to actually grow up in Oranga Tamariki, and she has been a voice for 
some of our most vulnerable New Zealanders. Every one of our ACT MPs can be proud of the way that they've presented themselves over the past few years. Uh, and of course, in election year, our voices and our faces will be out there more than usual. Uh, and I hope that people uh, find that they resonate with us. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Brooke Van Velden, our Deputy Leader of the ACT Party. Morning reporters next with Guyon and Corin. Stormy weather for North, uh, northern New Zealand, very hot for the South Island. From all us here at First Hub, have a wonderful day. We'll be back in your ears on Monday.